0: or maybe you you call God Father, like what images does that conjure up in your mind? What feelings kind of does that emote out of you to hear God as Father? Today, as Stephen mentioned, we, we finish up our series, Knowing God by Name, and the reason we've been doing this series, again, is because the ancients believed that, that a person's name captured the, the essence of that person, and, and you could know a lot about a person or their reputation based on what their name meant. And so we've been looking at the main names by which God is known in Scripture, and in week one, we learned to know him as Elohim, as this mighty creator God, to whom we're all accounted. And and then in week two, we began to um, explore his personal name, Yahweh, and and to to understand that as Yahweh, he is the ever-present God who, who loves to enter relationships with people and who's faithful to his promises. And then in week three, we contemplated what the name and person of Jesus tells us about God, as the God who came for us, as the God who showed us how to do life, as the God who saved us. And then today, I want us to consider, who is this God that we call Father? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is huddled up with his disciples, and they ask him to teach them how to pray like he prays. And so Jesus begins to pray aloud, and he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And before he could get any further, all around the circle of disciples, eyes probably opened. And, and we're probably nervously glancing around and with eyebrows raised. And, and you wonder why, why is that? Because nobody prayed that way. Prayed like what? Our Father who is in heaven. Well, what's so unusual about that? Well, it's, it's not unusual to us, but... If we had been one of Jesus's Jewish disciples that were gathered around him when he uttered that prayer, it would have been startlingly unusual. See, no pious Jew prior to Jesus Christ ever would have thought of addressing the sovereign creator of the universe, the transcendent Elohim, in such familiar and intimate terms. I mean, they wouldn't even call him by his personal name, Yahweh, they they called it the unspeakable name because they were so afraid that they might use it in vain that they wouldn't even say it. And so to address this holy transcendent God as father, it, it just was shocking to them. In fact, the term that Jesus would have used in that prayer speaking the Aramaic that he spoke, is the term Abba, which is an even warmer term than our English word father. It's, it's really one of the first words that a Jewish baby would learn to say. And yet it was a, a term that they, they used throughout life, not just when they were little children, they, they used it throughout life. And so it was it was closer to our English word dad, or maybe papa. And so you can imagine that that, that, you know, that would seem a little informal to a pious Jew to be addressing God in that term. And, and so they would have been very, very surprised. I mean, when I, when I think about this, it, it reminds me of my friend, Jared, who uh, before he moved away was a part of our church. And, and, and Jared, every time that he would lead a prayer, He would always begin it by saying, hey, Dad. And I just always just thought that was such a a beautifully intimate and warm way to address God. But, you know, never in the Old Testament, never in all of of the many, many centuries worth of Jewish literature outside of the Old Testament before Christ had God ever been addressed as Abba. This was new, okay? So no wonder the Jewish leaders had a fit when Jesus comes on the scene and starts addressing God as Abba and referring to him as my Father. I mean, it sounded way too intimate, way too familiar, way too presumptuous to them. But in his model prayer here in Matthew chapter six, Not only did Jesus call God Abba, but he gave permission to his disciples, his followers, to call God Father as well. He actually gives us the right to call on God with the same term of endearment that he used when he spoke to God. And he gave us the privilege of actually having that father-child relationship with God through a spiritual rebirth didn't he? And and John talks about that as he opens his gospel in John chapter one and he says, yet to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? children of God, right? He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of human decision, but or, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now this was a revolutionary concept When Jesus taught it, nobody had thought of their relationship with God in those kinds of terms before Jesus comes on the scene and he talks about it that way. And I wonder, I think really to a large degree, probably those of us who are here, those of you who are watching online, probably it's not something that phases us to think about God as Father. It's become very, very common to us. It's become very familiar to us. And so we read it and it doesn't phase us at all. But, but when you contemplate God as Elohim, when you, when you think about God as the creator, when you, when you contemplate God as El Elyon, the God most high, and especially, I think, when you think of God as Yahweh, the unspeakable name Then I think it helps us to appreciate more the fact that we can call on God as Father. But, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's very hard, very hard for us to relate to God as Father. And that's because of the experience that we've had with our own dads. Right? So if if you only knew rejection from your father, from your dad, then then you probably have a hard time believing that God accepts you. If like me, you had a, a hypercritical dad who, who you know nothing was ever good enough or right enough, a, a, a father who who would lose his temper a lot, you know, then then you may have that kind of perception of God. You you may tend to see God as being temperamental, as as being extremely hard to please, as being a God that, that sees you as a failure. If you had a, a father that was maybe emotionally distant, you know, just he wasn't, he wasn't accessible to you, never, never seemed to have time for you. Maybe a dad who, who, was, who was just kind of always busy in his work. Maybe a dad who, who didn't have um, much care about what was going on in your life. And, and when you needed help, or maybe you were being mistreated, he wasn't there. Like he didn't show up he didn't do anything to help you in those situations, then you may really struggle to believe that God is actually interested in your life, that God is actually present for you, that he is watching over you. And even worse, if if you had a dad that abused you or violated you in, in some way, then you may have a really difficult time relating to God as father. You may really struggle to feel safe and comfortable even in God's presence. You you might even feel worthless in God's eyes. See, the truth is that for a great many people, our deepest wounds came from our fathers. Even the best intentioned fathers and we carry a lot of psychological baggage with us when it comes to our relationship with God as our Father. So, how can we begin to break free? How how can we begin to escape from the, these? conceptions we have, these misconceptions of, of who God is as father and, and to break free of kind of those negative impressions we have, maybe even hurtful impressions that we have of fatherhood and, and actually be able to see God as the kind of father that he actually is. Well, I, I would suggest to you that, that that's not easy if you had a a bad father or a a father that wasn't around in your life, that's not easy, but it is possible. And And I think it starts with actually talking to him about that. Starts with actually just being open and just being honest and, and in your prayers, actually telling God about your struggle to relate to him as father and explaining you know, your heart to him, not that he doesn't know, but just to have that heart-to-heart talk with him about why that's difficult for you. I think that's a good place to start. But I think it's more than that. We also have to shift our perspective. And and in doing that, what I mean is, we've got to stop projecting the flaws of our earthly dads onto our heavenly dad. And instead, I I think we have to start seeing that the beauty of God's perfect fatherhood and how it contrasts with whatever was lacking in our human fathers so that we can see his his true heart. And and I think for those of us who had dads that that either abandoned us, or or maybe you had a father who died when you were young and, and just wasn't there, I think we have the opportunity to discover that God is our true father. He is our true father who would never desert us, who would never abandon us like that. And so um, I think we have a lot that we can begin to to learn. But if you want to know what kind of father God really is, then I'll tell you what, the best thing to do is to open up the gospels and see how Jesus related to the father. See how Jesus, the son of God, related to God, his father. Look at their relationship and you'll have a really good picture of the kind of father that God actually is. Now, the gospel of John is actually, of the four gospels, the one that pays the most attention to the things that Jesus said about his relationship with the Father. So John is is your best place to go, but all four gospels will will show you a lot about their relationship. And and it's really no wonder that John maybe told us the most about that because remember, he opened his gospel with that verse that I just quoted to you a few minutes ago, talking about how Jesus gave us the right to become children of God ourselves. And so he goes on to show us a lot about what this father that we have in God actually looks like. So what do we learn about God from his name, Father? And especially as we look at the relationship that he had with Jesus, his son. Now I'm going to limit myself just to three things, just for the sake of time this morning. But there's three things that I wanna bring out that that I think we see. And the first one is probably the most obvious one. John chapter one in verse 18. John says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God, and is in what? closest relationship with the father has made him known i want you to pay attention to that he's in closest relationship with the father now you may or may not have had a super close relationship with your earthly dad with your your human father you you may or may not have found that your dad was emotionally accessible to you a lot of dads struggle with that. A lot of dads struggle to to show affection. But one thing that is very apparent about Jesus's relationship with God, his Father, is that they were as close in heart as two persons could possibly be. They were linked up emotionally. I mean, they were bonded together as as close as any relationship could be. John says he's in closest relationship with the Father. And by the way, a a more literal translation of that phrase is, is that he is in the father's embrace. Or even more literally, pulled close to the father's chest. That is a tender, affectionate picture of the father's love for his son, isn't it? So we can be sure that as father, God tenderly loves you. He, he tenderly loves you. See, I, I think that most of us who who follow Jesus, we, we, we get that God loves us. Most of us have heard that along the way. We, we get that he cares about us. We, we get that he, he has our best interest at heart. He wants to see us do well. But it, as we look at this little snapshot, just this one little snapshot of Jesus' relationship with the Father, we come to understand that The Father's love is more than that. It's more than that. The Father's love is more than just a desire to see us do well. It's an affectionate, tender kind of love. It's it's a heartfelt kind of love. And, And John saw that in Jesus's relationship with the Father. So much so that later on when John would write his his letter, what we call 1 John, and he decided to, to try to describe God and kind of encapsulate God, sum God up in one word, which would be a daunting task, wouldn't it? But the Holy Spirit gave him the word love. God is love, right? And, and so his role as father is probably how we see his love more clearly than in any of his other roles. When Lori and Stephen, those are my children, when they were young when they were little children my my favorite time of day was was in the evening when I would get on the couch and and I would get Lori and Stephen up on the couch with me one on either side if I could get Stephen to hold still long enough and 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 I would just put my arms around him and I would pull him in close and just hold him up against my side and 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 I would read a book or I would we would watch their favorite movie for the hundredth time you know together I mean those were just such special times. And, and that's the kind of love that our heavenly Father has for all of his children. See, I think sometimes we, we look to Jesus for love, which is great because he's, he's, he is love too and he's amazing in his demonstration of love. But sometimes we, we kind of go to Jesus for love and we kind of see the Father as being a little bit more distant, maybe, maybe a little more on the stern side but Jesus himself said in John 16, verse 27, no, the father himself, what? He loves you because you have loved me. And by the way, the specific word that he used there for the father's love in that sentence is the word phileo, which is, a, is a, it's an affectionate familial word. Kind of love. It's the kind of love that a parent has for their child. It's the kind of love that, that close siblings have for each other or, or best friends have for each other. See, see we know that God agapes us, right? We, it's actually agapa, agapao in the verb, but we, we understand God has this unconditional love, but God has an unconditional love for the whole world, right? God so loved the world. That's the word agape, he has an unconditional love for the, the whole human race, but he has a tender, warm affection for his children. For those who have actually become his sons and daughters, God has a, a phileo kind of love, a, an affectionate love. And, and, and so I don't know if you realize this or not, but your heavenly father not only loves you, he likes you. He really does. He likes you. And, and, and so we don't worship a, a heavenly father who retreats you know, into his office to bury himself in his work. We, we worship a heavenly father who offers us his lap to climb up into. And when we're hurting, we can fall into his arms and let him love us through it. And he'll do that. And yet, it's more than just tender affection that uh, the father offers his children. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus, uh, speaking from his own experience, says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be what? given to you as well, right? They'll be given to you as well. Aren't you glad that your heavenly father knows your needs and that he is standing on the alert, ready to supply whatever your needs are? Doesn't that just give you a great deal of of peace and, and, and just a sense of comfort to know that about your heavenly father? See, as father, God provides for you. He not only loves you tenderly and affectionately, he provides for you. Now, Jesus didn't live in a palace, did he? He didn't even live in a big house. He didn't wear the most expensive clothes. He didn't ride around in style on a camel. But did Jesus ever go without what he needed? I mean, as you read the scriptures, as you read the accounts of his life, do you ever see Jesus worrying that he wasn't going to have enough? No, you don't, do you? In fact, in John chapter three, verse 35, Jesus said, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. He's placed everything in his hands. Think about that. Think about that picture. See, God isn't a deadbeat dad. (laughs) And Jesus experienced his father as a kind of father who was graciously giving him everything he needed in this life, and he was like anticipating the unbridled generosity that his father was going to show him when his mission was completed, and he returned home. And Jesus tells us that this is the kind of father we have. So if you know God as father, today, if you if you know God as Father, then you don't have to worry about whether you're going to have what you need. You don't have to worry about why do we do that? Why do we worry that we're not going to have what we need when we know God as Father? Hasn't he proven himself yet? Yes. Hasn't he proven himself enough to you at this point in your life to show you that he has... He's shown up when you needed him to, that he's provided what you needed him to, that you're still alive and well today because he's been there. And not only has he provided for our present, he's provided for our future too, hasn't he? I mean, big time. He he has big time plans for our future. I mean, he has lined us up for a spectacular inheritance. Jesus said in John 14, verse 2, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? My family is headed to my mom and sister's place for Thanksgiving uh, later this week, and, um, and that's in Mississippi. And I was talking to my mom, we were doing some FaceTiming uh, yesterday, and uh, man, she is so excited, can't wait for us to show up. And she, she always rolls out the red carpet. Whenever, whenever we show up, I mean, she is going to do everything she can to make sure we know how glad she is that we're there. Do you know that Your heavenly father, he is anticipating the day when all of his children will come home. And he can't wait for that to happen. But there is another angle that I think that we need to consider also as we think about what does it mean for God to be father? What does that tell us about him? And that is, how should we treat God as Father. Because we've already been talking about how he treats us as his children. We we see how that Jesus as the son was was loved by the father. We see how he was provided for by by the father. We see how he was guided by the father and and nurtured in every way. And, and, And yet, what does it look like when we see how Jesus the son treated God the father? How did he respond to him? I think it's a really important question for us to ask. Speaking as one, I can tell you, fathers hate to be embarrassed by their kids, right? We we don't like to be embarrassed by our kids. We wanna be proud of our kids. And, And fair or not, we tend to kind of feel like however our children behave kind of reflects on us, don't we, as parents? Yeah, we do, and that's tough, and it's hard sometimes. But as Jesus reflected on all that he had done and, and, and how he had lived his life and, and what he had left to do in John chapter 14, verse uh, 13, he said that everything I do is so that the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son, right? Everything I do so that the Father will be glorified in me, he says. So Jesus, I mean, that is his life goal. He's saying, I wanna make sure that everything I do is something that brings honor to my Father. I I wanna bring glory to my Father. I wanna do things that put my Father in a good light instead of doing things that embarrass him. And so in verse 31 of the same chapter, again, Jesus says that he did what he did in his life so that the world may learn, he says, that I what? I love the Father and do exactly what I want. No, do exactly what he has commanded me, right? So, so Jesus is saying, hey, I love my Father and, and therefore I respectfully obey my Father, So as father, God deserves your loving obedience and mine. He deserves that from us. That's why worship begins with the obedience of our lives, right? Because, you know, to say I love you doesn't mean much to a parent if their child is disregarding and disobeying them. So like Jesus, you know, when we get up in the morning, we should be thinking, what are the choices that I'm going to make today that are going to bring glory and honor to my heavenly father? And the obvious answer to that question is to obey him. Right? Whatever he has said is what I want to do. And, and I'm going to guess, that it's probably a safe guess to, to venture that obedience isn't your favorite word in the English language. Unless you're a parent or a school teacher, in which case you love that word. But obedience tends not to be our favorite word, but doesn't it put it in a different light when you, when you reflect on the fact that the God that we give our obedience to isn't a tyrant, you know, he's not like some kind of high school principal that maybe you had who you know, was always peeking around the corner hoping to catch you doing something wrong so he could paddle you. That was back in the old days, you know, old school times when you know, principals could do that kind of thing. And, and maybe, maybe you think about God that way, you know, then it'd be hard to obey a God like that you know or, or or to think of god as just kind of standing over you as a judge you know it might be hard to feel motivated to obey him then as well but that's not the god that we're giving our obedience to it's not a tyrant it's not someone who's just out to judge it is our loving father our loving dad that's the kind of god that we have to serve. Don't you wanna live your life in a way that puts your heavenly dad in a good light? Don't you want to to give him glory? Is he not the kind of father that deserves your respectful obedience to his wishes? You know, many years ago, um, I was sitting at my desk and I heard a voice behind me and I turned around and there was Stephen. He was only just a little toddler at the time. And he was approaching and, and he came up to me and he reached up his hands and I reached down and I pulled him up into my lap and he wrapped his arms around my neck real tight and he laid his head down on my shoulder. And in the sweetness of that moment, as I'm holding my son close to me, I, I thought, thank you, Father, that this is how you feel about me. That all that I I long for, all that I hope for, for my son is is just a sample of what you want for me and what you want for him. See, I, I realize that some of you are without a father. And my heart goes out to, to those who, who maybe your father was never there, whether, whether you had an absentee father who was just always gone, just always at work, always gone, or, or, or you had a father who, who died while you were young. And, and you know, even if you had a fantastic mom who, who did everything she could to just you know, give you what you needed as a child, there was still a void there. Right, And, and children who, who are missing a dad, they, they still feel that void no matter how awesome mom is. And, and they would give anything to have a dad who is there, to have a dad who loves them, to have a dad who, who is present in their lives, to have a dad who's proud of them to have a dad who will help them to discover life and and to discover the best of who they are. But no matter how much they want that, they can't have it. I mean, they can't make it happen. It's, It's something that's outside of their control. But some of you are without a father by choice. And it's not that you don't have an earthly dad in your life, but it's that you don't have a heavenly dad in your life. And yet he has been there. He has been there since that moment that you made your first appearance in the hospital delivery room, or wherever it was that you were born. And he has been there every single moment of your life since. And he loves you. And he has been reaching out in love to you your entire life. And he's been providing for you. He's been taking care of you, making sure you had what you needed. And yet, he's not your father because you haven't said yes to his offer to adopt you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to adopt you as his son or his daughter, but you have to agree to that arrangement. You have to say yes, and I don't know, maybe you've been living with your apprehensions or maybe they're just hesitations instead of enjoying a relationship with a father who loves you far more than any earthly dad could. And so the next step today is just very, very simple. Draw near to your heavenly father. Just draw near to him. I I visited a nonprofit once that facilitates the, the reunion of birth parents with a child who never knew each other. And of course, you, as you might expect, children in that in that kind of scenario, especially tend to be pretty nervous about meeting their parent for the first time. And so this, this organization, they just kind of facilitate a, a neutral space where the, the parents and the child can get acquainted and they can start to build a relationship. And it occurs to me that that's kind of a picture of what we are as a church. like. We are here, one of the reasons that we exist as a church is to be a a safe place where, where spiritually orphaned children can be connected to or reunited with the heavenly father who's been waiting for them or maybe that they've been estranged from for years of their lives and to help facilitate the building of that relationship. And it's, it's work that we love to do. We love to do that. And we, we would be glad to do it for you.
1: Take a look at the screen, would you? My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image in me you live and move and have your being for you are my offspring i knew you even before you were conceived i chose you when i planned creation you were not a mistake for all your days are written in my book i determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live you are fearfully and wonderfully made I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love, and it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad, almighty God.
0: That is his invitation to you and to me. And if you would like to receive him as your father by receiving Jesus as your savior, that is a decision of your heart that you can make today. And I just want to offer you that encouragement. What's stopping you from taking this amazing offer to become a son or a daughter of the most high God who loves you? And if you would like to to come to him, then just please open your heart and ask Jesus to come and to become your savior, to give him your life. And those of you who already have a relationship with God on some level, my guess is that, that you probably would like it to be a closer relationship than it already is. And so for you too, draw near to your heavenly father. He loves you tenderly, affectionately. He's providing for you and he will provide for your future. And he is the father that you can count on. He is the father that deserves your respectful obedience and the surrender of your life.